Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Dominic Fifield of the Guardian and Tom Hopkinson of the Sunday Mirror. He was once called the man who couldn't retire. But five years ago today, he did. And he continued to remind us of his greatness. All our best to Sir Alex Ferguson in his latest, greatest battle. Football management, they say, is the hardest game. So, if we're picking our manager of the season, what should we be looking for, Dom? Well, the impact that he's had on his team, primarily, I guess. Um, and maybe that's punching above their weight. I mean, you could you could look at Burnley and Sean Dyche for that. Or the success that, that Pep Guardiola has, has enjoyed at Manchester City and, and how that has been achieved with a with a philosophy that he's stuck stuck by when people doubted whether it could be imposed in the Premier League. But it has to be, you know, each each club is is measured on a, on its own success or failure and, and you know, those who have enjoyed whether it be mid-table security or winning trophies, those guys have been steered steered there with, with good managers. Mm. Let's try and look at the context, not just of the club that Dom spoke about, but of the game itself, uh, Tom. Is it harder than ever to be successful as a manager? Um, I think that'd probably be a little bit unfair to, to managers of years gone by. You know, I think that there was probably a more level playing field um, uh, back in, you know, whether it's in the 70s or, or 80s. Uh, certainly the difference in the amount of money that uh, some managers have got to play with these days compared to, you know, what, what those who have gone before them have, uh, have been able to spend. Uh, then, yeah, but it, it's... There's, there's no doubt in that, it, that it's a very competitive time in the Premier League at the moment. Um, I'm, I'm not saying it's the best Premier League uh, we've ever seen because I think you only have to look at the number of teams involved in the relegation battle this year uh, to, to know that there are quite a few, you know, at least at least 10 teams who until recent weeks could easily have, uh, mm. have been drawn into the relegation battle. Um, but yeah, it, you know, just to sort of expand on on what Dom said, I, I think it's 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 about the entertainment you, you provide as well to your supporters, um, and part of that entertainment it could be a, a really rough, disappointing one nil victory, but a, a victory that keeps you up and uh, brings out the emotion and the excitement from that. Or it could be some of the football that we've been uh, used the word treated to. I think from from Pep Guardiola, from from Jurgen Klopp, and I think even it's important to say. Right back at the start of the season, when when Manchester United started very well from Jose Mourinho, before things obviously changed and and, and United seemed to get a little bit more conservative or a lot more conservative again. Um, so I think it's I think it's all those factors, and, and as Dom says, you, you literally you, you almost do have to to weigh weigh it up club by club. But I think they'll mm. they'll be two outstanding candidates for it this year. Yeah, if you look at it, um, the modern manager has to be all things to all men and women. You know, in terms of got to be a politician, got to be a bit of a performer, 
obviously got to have a, an intrinsic understanding of the game, got to be able to get the best out of people in terms of man management, so he's got to be emotionally intelligent. That's a heck of a package to put together. Absolutely, and we, we underestimate it. We, we, see, we see the manager picking the team, conducting the training on the sidelines during the game, but take an example, um, Arsene Wenger last week uh, when they played at Atletico Madrid in the, in, in the Europa League, he apparently did eight flash television interviews post-match immediately after the game's finished and he's got to compose himself at each of those and then walk into a, a, a media theatre and talk to the written press as well. Uh, those are the sort of the duties that, that, that come with the job and, and I, they, must, they must be oppressive. They must grind you down over time. It was interesting to see, um, those are just media duties as well, it was interesting to see Roy Hodgson last week suggests that keeping a team up in the Premier League these days is almost a two-manager job. He, he, he looked at it and said, well, you, you may need two managers over the course of a season to do that at certain clubs. I mean, his aspiration is, the club that he's at at the moment, is to, to make sure that doesn't happen. They don't need to be in that situation and they're more of a mid-table team. But for seven, eight teams in the Premier League, we're seeing that, that two-manager being, and sometimes it works, Sometimes, like in Stokes' case, it just it just didn't. Mm. And when you look at that, um, uh, those decisions, you've also got to back that with really good recruitment. You know, so you know we'll talk about Stoke later on, where you've got Jack Butland saying, "Well, basically, our recruitment's been a farce." Mm. Well, that can't just be down to the manager, can it? It has to be a much broader sense of responsibility. Yeah, but but I think English football has, has railed against this for a long time. You know, if you think of the, the, the great managers we've seen uh, over the years, uh, you know, whether you're going back to the Paisleys and the Shankleys or whether it's the modern day Wengers and Fergusons, they, they have run their clubs top to bottom and have been completely over everything. Nothing has gone on, whether it's, as Dom says, you know, whether we're talking about media commitments from the players, whether we're talking about buying and selling, play or to, uh, buying and selling players to the small matter of picking the team and making sure you, you get results at the weekend and even down to the academies you know managers have have gone with that but I think the game has evolved now to such an extent that where we see with Arsenal, you know, Ivan Gazidis, yes, he's put himself on the front line now. He's he's, he's there, um, he's there to take the you know all the responsibility. But he's had to put that um, that team in place to deal with contract negotiations, to deal with player recruitment, because it's just the way the modern game has mm. has, has gone and the way it's evolved. And it's interesting. You you've got. I found it very poignant. Um, at the weekend where Wenger talked in his final press conference at home of saying, I've now got to go away and reconnect with myself. Mm. Takes a lot, doesn't it? Takes I, a lot out of them. It must do. I mean, it dominates their life. Ferguson was in his office every morning at 6am. I bet he was the last person out of the training ground as well most days. Wenger is not going to be any different. I mean, he's, he's, he's a man who's... We, we, we said for years, you know, this is a man who goes home and watches videos of, back in the days we had videos, of, <laughs> of um, scouting players or games around Europe, around the world. He was completely obsessed. And that's not going to stop overnight just because he's left Arsenal. Um, and he'll end up pining for a job. I, you know, he's, he's, you just can't see him detached from football is just not going to happen. I know Eddie Howe is, is, is the same, you know, so yeah. it's not just the older generation of, of managers, you know, even this new breed of whether they're managers, whether they're coaches. First one at the training ground every morning, as you'd expect from, from the manager, you know, he's there to, to set the tone and, and, and give players, you know... I had one of my earliest ever interviews with him. I got there at 20 to 7 in the morning and he beat me in. <laughs> By a couple of hours. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, this is what it does. It does take over your life. And, and you know, a lot of people have jobs where, where, you know, they don't get to spend much time with their families. And when they are around their families, they're thinking about work. You know, it's not, it's not just football that, that has that. But 
it, it is a level that I think a lot of people uh, could could never quite get their head around because, you know, I, mean, I remember speaking to uh, Antonio Conte, uh, Dom, at a press conference late last season and he was going off on his holidays. He was off to Sardinia, wasn't he, for mm. a couple of weeks with his family. But the idea that Antonio Conte gets on holiday with his family and stops thinking about player recruitment or what argument he's going to have next. Most of that holiday text from Marina Gonoskaya saying we need this We need more money. But but it it, it is, you know, and and look, they're they're very well remunerated for it. So that's, I think that's where a a lot of people don't have as much sympathy for them as... as, I think that's wrong. You know, you've got to look at the human being behind the job and behind the paycheck, haven't you? Um... I, don't, I wouldn't say it's, it's totally wrong because, I, I, you know, they don't have to be football managers. They, they you know, if, if that affects them, if, if the amount of work uh, and the amount of stick they get um, is something that they aren't happy to handle, then go and do something else. You know, there are plenty of other jobs in the world. So I think, you know, you know, it goes hand in hand. If, if you're Arsene Wenger and, and you're, you, you're getting £8 million a year and you don't want to walk away from it, then, you know, I, I think... I think, look, yes, you do have. We do have to probably understand there is a human being behind it, behind the the mask of of the football manager. But I still think, you know, everyone goes into that job knowing the pressures and and knowing yeah, that they're going to get, types as well, yeah, knowing it? that they they could easily get sacked. But if yeah. they do get sacked, it's not the end of the world because Quite they're walking away with a handsome they? payoff. Quite obsessive, Dom. Yeah, I mean, I. I, I, I... I want to almost uh, some of the language I want to use isn't quite so kind, but I mean, yeah, they they, they let it dominate their lives because they're not normal in that respect, are they? They're not. They're not. They don't want to switch off. They they they're obsessing over every minute detail of the jobs, um, and that, it's a particular type of person that can thrive doing that. Um, I don't think I'm one of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. If someone waved the paycheck in front of you, I think you'd, I, I really you'd give it a go. I, 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 look, some of them will be motivated by the financial gains that they can have. But I, I mean, look, for example, Stephen Gerrard. Stephen Gerrard could have... He's, he's earned enough money over yeah. his life. He doesn't need to go and, and, and work at Glasgow Rangers and... And take on a job that everybody from the outside that, of the thinks of... Is, this is this is you know this is a big task. Yeah, mad possibly, but he goes there thinking that he can achieve something, and he goes there driven by this, and and will be obsessive. He will be there all over that club, and trying to change things for the better. And I don't think that's being motivated by fi- by finance. Yeah, look, I've, if I if I'm suggesting that they're totally motivated mm. by finance, I, I I you know I didn't mean it that way. I, it's just it's just part of the cover mm. that you get for putting yourself on that front line, you know, for, for being the person that uh, has to shoulder the burden of managing mm. a football club. Let's start, talk about some specifics now. Um, you know, you already mentioned Roy Hodgson. Uh, as a, Is he a potential manager of the year? I would say probably yes, given what he's done. I put my hand up. I was asked after one of these shows, will Palace go down? And I said, yep. Um, you turned to me at two-two against Everton. I did. The autumn and said they've gone. Yeah. They've gone. And in fairness, at that point, it looked yeah. as if they probably had. But with Roy, you know, we've all seen him immediately after games, and he is a different animal to the one that you would meet the other five, six days a week. In terms of almost, you know, that eyeballs out, almost wanting confrontation with people. He's really, he's been some really spiky press conferences immediately after games. And you look at him and you think, what is this doing to you? Mm. Yeah, you're right. He can be spiky. And um, yeah, he, he is emotionally spent when he comes in and sees us post-match. But I can sort of understand that, that sort of 
the, the, the down from the from the adrenaline that he's just been going th going through his body. Um, I, for him to be doing that at seventy one, and and, and I, you know, Palace haven't offered him a new contract as yet, but I'm sure that, that talk those talks can't be far off. He's only got a year left, and to to think that Roy Hodgson could become the the oldest manager that's ever been in the Premier League at 73, 73, um, when we thought that he was a spent force after England. I think that's fairly remarkable. Um, he's surrounded by good people there. He's got he's put together a good coaching staff. And I think we underestimate that sometimes. Mm. Going back to Gerard, it's key, you know, what who he brings with him and has working around him. But but Roy has that at Palace with, with Ray Lewington is sort of erstwhile number two, but Stephen Reid, Dean Kiley there as well. And it works. So what, what he has achieved this season is is remarkable. Not 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 because they had set no points after seven games and no goals after seven games, but because he didn't have a goal scoring centre forward at any point in the season. He had an injury crisis, which the like of which he admits he's never seen before, which took out twelve first team players at one point. Um, and yet he's still and, and also they didn't buy anyone of any note in January. They didn't like he's working with the players that he inherited. And the, and the squad that everybody acknowledged was in balance when he bought, when he got it, and and for them to be potentially targeting a tenth place finish at the final weekend of the, of the season is is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. You agree with that? Yeah, I I, I don't think Roy would be uh, a candidate for manager of the season for me. Um, I think he's done a very good job, uh, and as Dom says, the injury list has been uh, just incredible when when you scan through it. But I think when he has his entire team to pick from, his, his whole squad to pick from. They have got some very, very good footballers. I think Johan Kabai is still very underrated. Loftus-Cheek, I know, again, you know, someone else who has missed a large chunk of the season uh, has come back just at the right time and, and has been playing very, very well. And, and in Wilf, uh, they, they just have this player who is a joy to watch, a throwback to... You know, wingers from days gone by. You think of the wingers that we grew up watching; those who sort of hogged the touchline. And he's chalk on the boots players. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, he's he's a little bit. Um, you know, he's he's obviously got the the modern day edge to him. But I, I think when you've got players at your disposal like that, players who can score goals, then you're you're in a very good position. Again, we, you know, Don will probably say, well, he missed a, a big chunk of the season three as well. But but when when Roy has got his whole squad yeah. to choose from. Uh, which he's had clearly had now at enough times in the season, mm. then he, he's got a good tune out of them. But I mean, it, it just raises that question. And I, I know he hates this, um, but, but this whole, you know, is he a very, very good manager of at a certain level? But when he goes up to, you know, stepped up to a club like Liverpool, uh, when he stepped up to the national job, did it work so well for him? And, and I, 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 the evidence for me points to the fact that he is better with using players who, you know, are a bit more malleable than maybe some of the... The, the, the better quality of players. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you can judge Roy Hodgson on Liverpool just because of the chaos that that club was in mm. um, with Hicks and Gillette. I think it's Hicks and Gillette at the time. Mm. Um, so he was uh, hiding to nothing and Kenny Dalglish was sort of on the scene as well, wasn't yeah. he? And, and yeah. the fans were always going to go back for Kenny. Um, and England, look, let's let's judge it after the summer, but you know he did get us to a one quarter final of a major tournament um, at the the Euros in 2012. Um, Brazil and, and France were obviously very, very poor. 
Um, but then who has been a success in the yeah, England shop true. over the years? I just, I just think if you, if you look at, and obviously we've not followed his, his you know, when he was off uh, gallivanting all around Scandinavia, managing teams and, and learning the trade and doing very, very well. And, and you know, wouldn't it be great? And also influencing did? other coaches. Uh, uh, yeah, and, and, and that's, that's what I mean. So I'm, I'm really not trying to take anything away from him. But I, I just think when, when you think of where he's got the best out of, the, the absolute best out of players and taking them to a level that perhaps they didn't know they could get to, I'm thinking at Fulham, uh, West Brom, and, and now at Crystal Palace. I think that's where he's excelled. Look, he's still, yeah, as, as Dom says, given the circumstances, still probably still did a reasonable job. of winning the Swedish title, isn't it? Um, yeah, that was the one he mentioned, the, wasn't it? After team, the, yeah. uh, we asked him after he yeah. looked like he'd kept Palace up with the, the 5-0 victory over Leicester and he was asked mm. that question and, you know, is this your greatest achievement? And, and he talked, you know, very, it was, it was a typical Roy Hodgson answer, <laughs> wasn't it really? You know, oh, it'd be easy to say that this was, but perhaps if I go back 30 years, 40 years to winning the Swedish division for the first I time. I think he's, I think behind the scenes privately, he's, Pretty chuffed with yeah, what he's achieved sure at he Palace this year. Sure yeah. I think it'll mean a lot to him. I think it, I know he plays it down the whole Croydon boy thing, and and I can sort of see why. But his his, his dad was a although his dad was from Newcastle, his, his dad was a Palace season ticket holder, and I think he he would look at it and think I would have made my dad proud with mm. what I've done. Yeah. and he has. He's been he's been a breath of fresh air. Mm. And the other uh, team in this uh, secret derby, Brighton. <laughs> Uh, Chris well, that's secret. <laughs> uh, someone said to me Just the other day. Just one that no one understands. That's all. But I someone understand. said to me the other day, "What a good young manager is." I said, "He's fifty-seven." <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, notwithstanding that, keeping Brighton up is a great achievement as well. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. This was something we we asked him on uh, on Friday after the Manchester United game as well, and he, he said, "Look, obviously it ranks amongst the the greatest achievements in my career." I think I think the thing I've, I've probably said this to you before, Mike. The, the thing with Chris Hutton is whatever. He, however he leaves a club, it's always in a better state than when he found it, um, whether marginally or in Brighton's case, you know, leaps and bounds forward. Um, he's just a very, very good manager and he does, he, he handles everything, all the aspects of the job that, that Dom talked about at the start. He, he's he's very calm. Now, if you don't think that Chris Hutton hasn't got it in him to hand out a, a telling off when he needs to, then then you'd be mistaken because you, you won't last that long in a, a professional dressing room or a professional uh, football manager's hot seat without without it. But he just have a, has a very calm, authoritative manner about him most of the time. And and I think, again, for a club like Brighton, he, he's just... He was just the perfect fit at the, the perfect time for them. And I also think the club was, was perfect for him at that time in his career because he had the backing of uh, an owner uh, who uh, and, and some very good people just under the owner who know football clubs, know how to work them. And, and they, they've all come together at the right time and it's, it's, it's been a joy to watch how well they've done. It's been a, an evolution at Brighton, hasn't it, for, mm. for, for a while now. And sort of steady progress. I have that one blip that when Sammy Hippier was in charge and then Chris came in and sort of steadied the ship. And from that moment on, they've they've progressed again. Um, but everything about the, the setup is 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 geared towards being a Premier League club for the, for the long term. Um, and, and the team that he's assembled is actually a really tall team, powerful team. We've got obviously look, everybody looks at Duncan Duffy, and but they they set the tone. There's 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 real presence in midfield as well. Stevens and Proper in there, and Glenn Murray is. One of the most underrated. He's an underrated player. I don't think. I don't think people actually underrate Houston as a manager because everybody knows he's blooming good. But Glenn Murray, when you watch him play, he is so clever, and he must. 
he must give centre-halves a complete nightmare. Paul, United last Friday, Chris Morning didn't know how to deal with Glenn Murray, and that, that is shocking for yeah. an England international. But he, he plays out of his skin, and he's perfect for them. And they've evolved, they've been realistic with the signings they've made, and he is realistic about what happens next as well. He was already speaking about how, let's not get ahead of ourselves, I think people were asking whether they could do a Burnley next season. Well, no, hold on a second, let's just, let's just make sure we're, we're just taking it steadily up to the next step, and I'm sure they will. He's made the team the sum of its parts, hasn't yeah. he? You know, they, they haven't yeah. got any players who you would say are particularly outstanding, but they just work very, very hard. They know what jobs they need to do, and, and they, they played Manchester United off the park. I, had, I, was, I was sitting in the two press boxes at, at Brighton, and I was sitting in the higher one uh, on Friday night, which is like the overspill, and... Um, you've got a bird's eye view of the game and to watch the patterns mm. uh, and, and the shape of, of both teams. Now, now, I'm not someone who, you know, I know a lot of journalists uh, are really into that start, side of the, of the game, but it wasn't, you know, it's not something that ever bothers me, but it was really fascinating to watch the, the shape that the Brighton team kept throughout that performance and, and, and United just simply couldn't deal with it. Mm. Survival, of course, is the name of the game and it's not assured as yet for um, Huddersfield. But already there's a lot of talk about David Wagner and what comes next for him. You know, Leicester have been uh, mentioned in dispatches. What strikes me about his role there is that he's unified, not just the club, but the entire community. And if you've got that together, a bit, bit like Brighton to a degree, that means an awful lot, doesn't it? Of course it does, yeah, absolutely. And I don't know whether he's actively done that. I just think he's... The, the the club were going in the right direction anyway. I think the ownership was were quite shrewd, and and they were, you know, looking to galvanize galvanize the the, the, the locals. Um, and the fact that Wagner has come in and had this un, unexpected success last season to take them up. I mean, no one saw that coming. No. Um, that 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 is what sort of inspired and and whipped up the the area behind the football club. Um, it, it would be it would be a magnificent achievement if he kept them up as well because that's that's an entirely new team pretty much from last season. Um, the, the, their out their transfer dealings last summer they were really efficiently done. It was all done very early in the window, so people sort of had time to bed in. But they they made so many signings. Um, I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't like a, a, a team that that goes up and 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 sticks to its. You know the, the tried and trusted. They they went in and they made sure they got two people in every position, and sometimes that meant two new people in every position. Mm -hmm. um, and for a team to stay up, potentially having scored only twenty seven goals all season, it's not great to watch, but it's pretty admirable, isn't it? I think I think the team, uh, sorry, the the city, the the fans, the supporters can relate to him, and I think that mm. is half the. Way. I think Dom's absolutely right. I don't think he's gone out and necessarily tried to garner this support yeah. and this faith in the community, but I think you know they they clearly got some momentum behind them in getting promotion. It's a bit. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of when Ranieri went into Leicester. That that it was sort of. You know, people looked at it. I'm not saying they're. I'm not comparing them as, as as people or as managers. But all of a sudden, things started happening, and and the manager started saying things that the community could get behind, and it, and this affection develops. And it it's not just good for the for for towns and cities. It is very good for the. Football but you mentioned well. almost like a sense of identification there, Tom. And I don't think you can get a greater example of that at the moment with Rafa Benitez and Newcastle, and he's now playing a political game. Really, Rafa? Yeah, <laughs> amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, basically, you know, back me or I'm, I'm off uh, to, to Mike Ashley. How do you see that playing out? Um, 
he's played he's played it with Mike Ashley a few times now, and Mike Ashley hasn't really backed him, and he's still there. So I, I don't really know how it's going to play out. I think he's obviously in a far stronger position this summer than than he has been uh, when he's played the game before, and I, I would love. Mike Ashley, I'd love to see him put. I sound a little Kevin Keegan at Newcastle. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd love to see Mike Ashley give Rafa the back in because, it, you know, we've talked about how Liverpool and Newcastle, as as cities and clubs, you know, there is is sort of a, a commonality there um, in in the way that mm. the, the the community is, you know, or everyone, everything centred around uh, the football club. And I, I think it would be really fascinating to see him backed. Uh, to see whether he could make Newcastle. I'm not saying he's going to make them a, a top six side straight away, but whether he could just, you know, get them back into the Europa League and maybe, you know, slowly, slowly get them back to being one of those great clubs in uh, in the Premier League. Whether it'll happen, I don't know, because after what he's done this year and some of the players he's brought in, some of the signings he's made, uh, I mean, Kennedy looks like he was a, a very good signing in the end, wasn't he? And I, I think there'll be a lot of good-sized clubs on the continent looking at him as well and thinking, well... You know, if if he really is as sick and tired of dealing with Mike Ashley as he said he is, then then we can mm. offer him an out. Will bigger clubs ever look at Sean Dyche? Because they should. Yeah, clearly they should. Um, there were the, a lot of clubs that were looking at him last summer, but for, for for whatever reason decided not not to pursue their interests, and a few will have regretted that in the period since. Um, for Sh- Sean Dyche, um, lost his best centre half last summer. Uh, in Michael Keane, he, he lost his first choice goalkeeper in September to a dislocated shoulder that's kept him out for the entire season, pretty much. Um, he lost Andre Gray, one of his sort of talismanic forwards, um, and they finished seventh. And that says it all. He's an absolute genius at what he's done. It's uh, it's almost they, he suffered almost because Burnley have been so good all season. People have almost forgotten about him now. Um, they've they've been up there. Tom was saying before they went through that long period without winning in the middle of the season, but didn't lose their place in that top seven. Eleven, 11, 11 games, games without 11, yeah without which a win. Is amazing, but it says a lot still, about the division. Still, yeah. But maybe we're just sort of almost over the course of a season, which feels like a long season. But um, it, we're sort of used to seeing Burnley there now. But it is remarkable that they're there. They are punching so far above their weight. And that is because of the manager and the spirit that he's got and the quality that he's unearthed and tapped into. Clever recruitment as well. Yeah, I mean, you fantastic. Know, someone like Jack Cork, who who's, who's made a very good career for himself after leaving Chelsea, but just, just a, a superb signing for a, a club of Burnley's side. Plays every minute. Absolutely. Jeff, Jeff Hendrick from Derby. I think when, when Hendrick left Derby, a lot of... Derby fans, you know, Will Hughes was always the one that, that they thought of, of that team mm-hmm. would, would go on and make the step up. Jeff Hendrick, when he's played in the Premier League, has been absolutely excellent this season. Um, some very clever footballs. I would have loved to have seen Sean Dyche go abroad, actually, at the end of this season uh, and maybe try his hand in, in, in Spain uh, or, or, or Italy or even Germany, somewhere like that. A, a, good, a good league, um, just to get a little bit of experience. But now he's got European, got football, European anyway. football, then I think... You know, you, you stay at Burnley, even if another, even if one of the bigger clubs does come knocking, which I, I don't know whether they will, but even if they do, then 
stay at Burnley, have one more year, just get that extra little bit of European experience that is the one thing that really is missing from his, his CV. You know, look, I mean, obviously the big trophies aren't, aren't there as well. But if he can have a year there and then I, I would say go and spread your wings, go off onto the continent and go and show people over there what a good manager you are. And, and then maybe one or two of the owners of the bigger clubs here might just start waking up to it. He even lost... Correct me if I'm wrong, but he even lost Robbie Brady to an injury as well, and mm-hmm. Stephen Defour, yeah. and yet he still managed to yeah. do it. There you go, it's a shoo-in for me. For we'll, we'll, we'll come to we'll that. Later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned Europe. Yeah. Um, will we only be able to make our final judgment on Jurgen Klopp on the evening of May 26th? No, I think we've made it. Uh, I, I mean, I certainly have. I, I was in in the camp that wasn't totally sure. You know, there was there was a lot of very exciting football um, going forward, but wasn't addressing uh, the the flaws at the back, um, which was always going to prove costly. But then he went out and spent £75 million on a new defender um, who has come in and, and done a very, very good job. Um, he, he lost... Uh, a player who a lot of people thought was irreplaceable in Philippe Coutinho and, and sold him for a phenomenal amount of money, uh, which I know they said that the money for Van Dijk was already assigned before uh, the sale of uh, Coutinho. So he's got the money to spend from that or at least a big chunk of the money to spend from that in in uh, the summer. Uh, and I think you have to say on the second half of the season, he is he has looked a very, very high-class and quality manager. Um, I think the football that he's he's got uh, Liverpool playing going forward has, has just been has just been a joy to watch. There's no other no other way to describe it. I think uh, he's brought Andy Robertson in. Didn't throw him in. A lot of people who saw him, uh, I think it was there was a game early on. Um, it was a one-all draw, and Robertson played, and then he was back out of the side for a little bit, and he's sort of wondering whether Klopp had thought to himself that maybe he'd made a mistake, but he just blooding him slowly, slowly into this Liverpool side. And all of a sudden, he's got one of the most exciting attacking uh, fullbacks in the country. Um, and, and, you know, that, that front three and four have just, yeah. been, mm. just been brilliant. And let's face it, he, he also makes our life a lot easier. He's brilliant in a press conference, isn't he? Is he? Oh, I think he's fantastic, yeah. I, I like him. I like his, I like his manners, mannerisms. I, like, I, love the way he, I love the way he does the, the whole staring at the opposition thing prior to kick-off as well um, from the centre circle. But I, I wouldn't say he's the most quotable manager out there. I, mean, maybe I, I, I just think there's a real sense there's, of... There's a charisma about yeah, him, which is amazing. There's an aura about him. Yeah. I think he plays that very well, though. I mean, you know, I think as soon as the TV camera comes on, that big, beaming, yeah. Colgate smile appears, <laughs> you know, or any other toothpaste but but he, he, he you know he can it can disappear very quickly when the cameras are off as yeah. well you know again he's we talk about managers you have to have that side to you you know you, it's not just all uh, happy clappy back slapping and and everyone's you know isn't everyone doing a great job and we're all enjoying it it's such great fun and we're playing this rock and roll football there have to be times when the manager absolutely digs his players out and Klopp isn't afraid it's interesting to Sunday, he, 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 yeah. when he dug out Salah for diving. That it, was, was it wasn't. It wasn't a massive criticism. It was just like a, a little subclause amongst amongst a sentence about about diving in general. But it, but but he did say it. And and not too not many managed, managers do they? They don't, do they? You're right. And and it did. Everybody's ears pricked up when he, when he said it. And he was right as well. It was a dive. Um, and it's it feels out of character for. But it was a, it was indicative of a man who was having a very frustrating afternoon against a team that had clogged up their penalty area. And that is where Liverpool are, are still a work in progress almost. How are they going to bypass Chelsea? How are they going to get through that? 
um, and they didn't manage it Sunday, um, they won't have that problem in the European Cup final because Real Madrid won't set themselves up that way. But next season, when Liverpool have to mount a title challenge um, with Manchester City, they have to be, have, be adaptable and have the, the options to, to get through clogged up defence. I think the nature of the way they've got to the Champions League final has, has been very impressive. I know oh. some managers, you know, Antonio Conte was saying last week that the difficulty in winning the Premier League compared to the difficulty in, or, or any division, compared to winning uh, the Champions League, you know, that you can't compare them because it's eight, eight games or whatever it is compared to 38 games. Um, that Tom's absolutely right. They do need. He does need to just maybe make another couple of signings, which obviously they've got Naby Keita coming in mm. in the summer as well. So he does need to make just a couple more signings that gives them uh, the ability to go head to head with Manchester City over the course of 38 games, rather than uh, just a flash in the pan. You know, or not a flash in the pan, but when when Champions League games come around. Mm. Let's then use City's title as a bit of a uh, a bookmark for Pep Guardiola's career in, in England. Have we seen the best of him yet or is it still the best to come? Um, it's hard to imagine how Manchester City are going to be better domestically um, in the future in terms of, in terms of the Premier League. You'd, you'd like to think that the, this is in the same way that Leicester um, was a wake-up call to the, the elite clubs. You'd like to think that the, those chasing Manchester City now Realise that the that the bar's been set really high, and they've got to they've got to reach that those levels, which would make next season harder for for City in the Premier League. But I don't I don't think we've seen the best of necessarily of his his team because I think they will target Europe in a that will be the big frustration for them this season the fact that, that Liverpool got past them in 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 that Champions League tie. Um, that's what he wants to. That's the trophy he wants to be to be lifting, and that's the, the natural progression on from the Premier League because he, he's done that now. Mm. Um, so there is scope for them to get even better, um, but I just like to think there'd be more competition at the top end of the Premier League next season. Yeah. How long do you see him staying here, Tom? It's a very good question. I, I don't think we're going to see a dynasty. You know, I really, I really don't. But everything. Everything that he's saying at the moment just sounds like him, not just him, but his, his family and his, his, the backroom family, if you like, as well. They're all very, very settled in Manchester. I, th I think the city um, has, has welcomed them with, with open arms, certainly the blue half of it anyway. Um, and and I, again, we talk about managers, we talked about Chris Hutton being the perfect fit at the perfect time and, and the club being the same for him. And I think... The same can probably be said of, of Guardiola and City. Um, I think we are seeing the best of him um, rather than we have seen the best of him because I, I agree with Dom. I, I think they will get better. I mean, having Mendy back uh, for next season will, will make them a better side. Uh, there be no arguments about that. And I think, I think what's very important is to have heard the likes of Vincent Company and Sergio Aguero talking about not just winning a title, but going and doing it again. That's mm -hmm. when, when over the weekend, when, when the news broke about Sir Alex Ferguson's illness and you know, we were getting phone calls from our sports editor saying, look, we need to put pieces together to, uh, you know, just to reflect what's happened today and, and talk about his career. And uh, you, you go through that list of achievements. And I was, I was, I was, you know, even just checking the number of Premier League trophies he won or sort of the dates of the Premier League and the number of times he won it back to back or three times. You know, you, you just, that is the toughest part of, of being a manager. It's it's an incredibly difficult thing to keep re-motivating players to go again. And I think that is what we're going to need to see from Guardiola. <laughs> can he, can he re-motivate? We know he's done it with 
Barcelona? Can he re-motivate this group of Manchester City players to, to say, let's not rest on our laurels? And, and absolutely, Dom's right. That Europe, I think, I think that's where we'll see him. I think he wants to establish them. I don't think he'll leave before he's established them as regular semi-finalists mm. in the Champions League. Conversely to that, Dom, who do you think has been, who have been the most disappointing managers for you? Who've done jobs which could could have been improved? <laughs> Frank Frank De Boer would probably be the, <laughs> <laughs> the obvious one. Let's not go there. Let's not go there. managers who are still in the job. Yeah. Well. I think Conte's, Conte's had a pretty miserable season, to be honest, domestically anyway. Um, well, in the, in the Premier League, he's, he's, they're having this late spurt of games, of, of wins, that, that's given them a bit of, a bit of hope um, that they can get back into the top four. But I think, it's, I think it's false hope, to be honest. And having seen them at Watford and against Bournemouth in sort of January, February time, and even sort of wasting points home to West Ham a month ago, they're, they're not a, a team that's really warranted top four and Champions League qualification this season, and a lot of that, a lot of that, I think, is down to Conte and, and the the general mood of defeatism that he's sort of promoted at the club, and, and it's just been a constant whinge since the summer um, when he didn't get his way. Um, I, I I don't believe that Chelsea recruited Antonio Conte and and told him we're going to be spending money like we were in two thousand and four. 2005. It's. I, I just. I just don't think that was the possible. The brief's not been yeah. that for a long time. Okay, okay. He had a wonderful first season, and some might argue that he deserves then to be rewarded by a, a 300 million pound splurge, which is clearly what he wanted to do. Um, but that's not how Chelsea operate now. So if you know the brief, if you know the restrictions you're working under, get on with the job that you were recruited to do. And I just think he's been too political this season. Um, it, it seems it seems churlish to say that a side that's going to finish arguably fifth, possibly fourth, has had a poor season. But I think Chelsea raised the bar up their own way last mm. season and they've fallen well short. I think he should have whinged less and the club should have backed him more. I think it's somewhere yeah, in between. It sums it up pretty well, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Who do you expect not to be around at the end of the summer? Uh, Claude Puel. I think is is the obvious one. Conte, um, I, yeah. I really don't. I think once the uh, once the payoff has been, um, you know, once they've sort of negotiated that, I think mm -hmm. that's just the the sticking point. I think he he's just been ambling through, frankly, till the end of the season. And I think the club probably looked at it and thought that's that's the best option for us rather than spending a lot of money in the summer to get rid of him and then spending another lot of money to bring somebody else in. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, but I, I think I think Conte will be the the one of the. Uh, obviously, Arsene Wenger aside, but the one of the the big managers who um, who who moves on, um, and I think both parties will be happy for that. I think we we sort of I was I actually was quite complimentary about the way that was all handled last summer when you know let's not bother extending the terms of your deal, but we will yeah. just give you a better contract for for the fact you've won the Premier League. Um, it just seemed very grown up and in a uh, a club that's not always known for for doing things that way. Um, it, it just seemed. You know, a very clever compromise for them. Um, but I think Puel has been the one. Uh, I was surprised when Leicester signed him. Um, and I couldn't see him motivating a team. I, 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 I'm sure. I, I'm told behind the scenes he, he's very charming and 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 a nice fella. But when we speak to him in press conferences, I I, I fail to understand how it, he motivates, as you say, the team. But but but. 
galvanises the team when they need it and tells gets the team to go and express itself. Um, he, he whispers when he, he talks to us. There's not... Whether it might just be that he doesn't particularly like the media or dealing with the media, you know, it could be for a whole, a whole you know, whole range of reasons. But I, I yeah, I, I struggle to see where the personality comes from that he has to inject on a dressing room that's full of big characters like Jamie Vardy, like Casper Schmeichel, you know, someone that they mm. are willing to get behind. Which clearly, you know, Ranieri was able to get the best out of them. Obviously, that all changed and the relationship uh, went south after the uh, the title win. Nigel Pearson. You know, think of the character of Nigel mm. Pearson and the way, again, whether you like dealing with him, whether you like what he has to say or whether you don't, you can understand how a group of men would buy, a group of young men would buy into what he's got to say. But unfortunately, with, with Claude Puel, I just don't, yeah. I don't get that. He has, this will be his second successive season, finishing in the top half of the Premier League, mm. And mm. losing his job in the summer. We'll see what happens with Leicester season. But I, I think... Yeah. I think isn't like, isn't that modern football, though, isn't it? Because basically... If, we, if we're being honest, what, what's happened here is the players have turned around and said, we're not having you, pal. Mm. But it happened at Southampton. It's obviously happened again. And in that context, to turn it on its head, West Brom, now, the, the overwhelming likelihood they're still going to go down and the fact there's even the <laughs> merest doubt is, is amazing. Mm. Should West Brom go for continuity in the form of uh, Darren Moore? Well... It's hard to argue they shouldn't. Um, what more could Darren Moore have possibly done other than maybe not consider a last-minute equaliser the Swansea in his first game in charge? Um, he's, he's had an incredible effect on a squad that, a squad that I thought was quite good, and I, I misread it completely, um, but clearly a squad that was very much underachieving under the previous two managers this season. Um, the only... When you talk about continuity, though, I do wonder whether the the issue there might be how many of those players are going to be at West Brom mm -hmm. next season if they do go down. In which case, do you need continuity in terms of a manager? I mean, does it even help um, to to have him in there? And, but he has he's been brilliant, and you just wonder what might have happened had they made the second decision on the manager this season slightly earlier, or indeed. Given Darren Moore the job after Tony Pulis left, yeah. it, it, I think I think it, you're you're right. It, it doesn't say a, a lot about the West Brom squad, does it? That that they didn't stop playing better under Alan Pardew, and I actually, who I thought was a really good fit for them. I, I thought he would probably steer them towards that more progressive style of football that they wanted, without completely moving away from uh, from from the stage they were at. But I know. I know Pardew went in early on and, and some of his the ways he tried to get the squad on side. I think he, he asked Oliver Burke what his name was in one of the first weeks of training and uh, you know, and the rest of the lads sort of looked around and thought, Well, you don't know you either don't know who our record signing is or it's a bit of a daft question and, and it was a steady trickle of uh, things like that happening. And it was such a shame because I, I really like dealing with Alan Pardew, mm. you know. I I think um I know he he has this image, you know, and he's portrayed as this person who just completely loves himself. But but he's he's not like that, you know. There is, there's, of course, there is a little bit of that in him. But but he's he's very engaging company. Never ducks a question when when we ask it to him. Uh, always very respectful. And and again, he's someone that I, unlike Puel, I can see uh, young men buying into everything he's got to say. Um, mm. On on Darren Moore, that the one. Uh, the one point I would make on that, I agree with what Dom said about there are going to be wholesale changes and so new players coming in, you know, does he have their trust like he's got this group's trust? Yeah. But it, again, it is a very different 
um, kettle of fish managing a team and being being the manager full time than just coming in for five games at the end of the season and 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 or you know however many it's been despite the fact he's done an incredible job and some of the scalps he's got. But what I would like to see for Darren more now is that he maybe is offered a job, League One, you know, lower end of the championship, something like that, and, and someone gives him a chance to show what he can do. And then, you know, who knows in three or four years' time whether he gets a chance a bit higher up again. Absolutely mm. loved his reaction to that winning goal at the weekend. Yeah, just, just yeah. Unmovable. It was yeah. absolutely yeah, it was brilliant. Good, wasn't it? Absolutely brilliant. Now, you know, we're obviously in a bit of a delicate situation here, you know, late morning on a Tuesday when you know, the relegation playoff between Swansea and Southampton is just about to hit us. Um, as a broad uh, perspective, are you surprised that both of those clubs are in grief? Um, no, no, I'm not. I think I would have been this time last year, I was told Southampton were going to be in the in the bottom four in, in a year's time, but I think when you when you analyse the decisions that they've made, um, both in terms of their own recruitment, their managerial appointment. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 